0: Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune in to Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at Grumlot.com. Now lean in, we're expectant for how God is gonna use this time to speak to you today. Uh, well, as you're probably well aware, it is indeed 4th of July weekend, and, and as you can see, today has has a bit of a different feel around here. In fact, this is actually a strategic weekend here at Grumlaw Church where we press pause on our in-person Sunday gatherings in, in order to give our core group of volunteers some much-needed rest, and, and we collectively gather together here at, at our online campus. So, so wherever you're watching from, maybe your living room, a, a campsite, an Airbnb that maybe has like a little... Gl- body, Wi-Fi, or or maybe you're still just laying in bed at home, having a bit of a staycation. We are so glad that you decided to carve out some time and spend it here with us. Uh, Right now, we are smack dab in the middle of this series titled Upside Down, uh, where we're exploring some statements that that come right at the beginning of what is easily Jesus's most famous recorded sermon. Uh, It's been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. These statements, which again, we find at the beginning of Matthew's gospel account, specifically Matthew chapter five, uh, they're often referred to as, as Beatitudes. And we've learned uh, throughout this series that this term Beatitude, in its most literal translation, uh, it would yield us this, this term in our English language, blessedness, which is why each of these statements begin with the word blessed, or if you grew up going to church, you say blessed. But, but it's so much more than happiness. It's so much more than favor. It's underscored by God's grace in the life of the believer. That is, you can't experience the blessedness that's being spoken about here apart from Jesus himself. It's something that's reserved for those who earnestly seek him. There is a divine component to the blessedness that Jesus is speaking about. And understanding that's really, really important. Because admittedly, as you read these statements from a strictly worldly point of view, they make absolutely no sense. They seem to be the complete opposite of what we would normally think and what the world would in fact tell us. As the title of the series would suggest, they are very much upside down. Which, by the way, if you're just beginning to explore, you're just kind of beginning to lean into this conversation surrounding Jesus. It is a very important, even foundational truth for you to understand. Most of what Jesus would teach... Most of what he would model, most of what he would advocate for goes against our, our natural instincts. It's the complete opposite of, of what our world would advocate for, what our world would model, which on the surface, right, that, that seems a little bit odd, right? I mean, is is Jesus just trying to be difficult? Is is he being the contrarian just for the sake of being different? That's maybe what our world would attempt to convince us of regarding Jesus. But, but as it turns out, uh, Jesus is actually just trying to protect us from well, us protect us from from ourselves. He, he's trying to protect you from from you. See, we find ourselves right now in, in a cultural moment where where personal autonomy is valued above all else. You be you, live and and let live. the The, the only problem with that is, and and just think about this logically. This isn't a, a religious thing. This is just a human being thing. The the, the problem with that is is that you. Rarely take you in in the right, in the best, in in the healthiest direction. Come on, as, as Jesus so refreshingly points out, with with a balance of honesty and and trueness that is so rare to find. What comes naturally to you is rarely what is best for you. I mean, isn't it true that 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 what comes natural, your your visceral reactions, your, your initial instincts, that they almost exclusively lead you to shame and regret, and, and guilt, and, and embarrassment. Natural leads you to the brink of despair, and upon your arrival, what will we'll just leave you there. That natural won't help you out of the mess that you've just created for yourself. I mean, I won't speak for all of you, but but natural Shay is is short-tempered. He, he's easily irritated. He, he wants to sit on the couch and watch TV while, while my wife Andrea gets the kids ready for bed. Natural, for, for all of us, it leads to lust over love. It stares too long at the scantily dressed women, naturally whispers, it's just one more, what's the big deal? Natural overeats and over drinks and, and overindulges. Natural says, hey, if you want it, buy it. Pay no attention to the financial ramifications down the road. You deserve it. Come on, there's very little that comes natural to me that that is best for me. And maybe more importantly, well, the, the people around me. So, so Jesus, he comes along and and he invites us to follow him r- rather than, than you, rather than, than me. He, he knows that you and I, we're, we're not very good masters. And so he extends an invitation to us right on into his upside down kingdom, which, which as it turns out, isn't really upside down at all. It's, it's actually the original design. The way that life was supposed to be, full of joy and peace and contentment, something that, that we're all searching for, something that we're all yearning for. The life that God designed for us before sin came along and started wreaking havoc on ourselves and, and the people around us. The, the life, by the way, that God still has waiting for you if you would just stop listening to, to yourself and instead take your cues from, from him. Uh, upside down is actually the life that we live apart from him. When we continue to be the rulers of our own kingdoms, and and Jesus again, with, with a refreshing honesty, asks us, hey, how is that how is that working out for you? Come on, you, you don't have to admit this to anyone else, but but you're not very good at this, are you? So, so so Jesus says, hey, why not follow me? Follow me right back into the way it was supposed to be before you started screwing it all up with your I know better posturing. So we've been exploring these upside down statements from Jesus. How do we get in on this divine blessedness that Jesus is speaking of? Something that each of us are searching for, that each of our souls are yearning for. Well, today we explore uh, Beatitude number four of eight. And Jesus would teach us in Matthew chapter five, verse six, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now, righteousness is one of those words that, that we see frequently pop up in the pages of Scripture. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus uses this word five different times. But, but I doubt any of you use that word in, in everyday conversation. So, so it's sort of this strange equation used frequently in Scripture— never used in, in everyday conversation, which leads to the fact that few of us actually understand its meaning, or may, maybe better or more politely stated, few of us have taken the time to understand what that word righteousness actually means. Now, now like so many of those intimidating biblical words, it's, it's not hard to figure out the meaning if you just kind of stare at the word for a little bit. In, in its most simplistic form, righteousness means a, a right relationship or, or, or a right standing. Now, oftentimes in scripture, it's specifically referring to a right standing or relationship with God himself. But in this particular instance, when we consider the context of the rest of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it's speaking of a right relationship with both God and and other people. In other words, Jesus is saying you will experience abounding joy, peace, and satisfaction as you seek a right relationship with God and, and others. Now, now, how do we know this? The, the Beatitudes that precede and, and, and follow give us a clue as to the type of righteousness that Jesus was hinting at. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, we take a peek at the next couple Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So, so how do we seek that, that right standing, that right relationship with God as, as well as the people around us? We, we, we show mercy, we uphold purity, and, and we're not simply peaceful. We as followers of Jesus, we are peacemakers. Now, now what's interesting is when, when you think of Jesus's definition or the parameters surrounding righteousness right here in the Beatitudes it, is that they actually have very little to do with God, who elsewhere in scripture is often the subject of righteousness And here it seems to be far more focused on on others. As it turns out, this isn't actually some one-off for Jesus. Jesus went out of his way throughout his time on this earth to make sure that you and I understood that, that our love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for other people. But perhaps the most notable example we actually find later on in Matthew's gospel account. Uh, For those of you who have been at this church thing for a while, you surely are familiar with this passage of scripture that we find in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. Jesus says here, when the son of man, a title that he would often use for himself, comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from from the goats. He he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, come. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let me read that verse one more time. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, It's sort of like Jesus is saying, whatever you do for others, it's like you're doing it for me. Which again, if you think about this actually in purely human terms, it makes an incredible amount of sense, right? And anyone in particular who has children, you really get this idea. You want to know, actually, the quickest way to get on my bad side? Do something mean ill-spirited, disrespectful to one of my kids. Nothing will ignite the righteous anger of Shea Prisk faster than if you mess with one of my children. But the, the opposite also holds true. You, you wanna know the fastest way to, to get on my good side, to, to butter me up? do something kind or loving for one of my children. In fact, uh, my youngest son, Oakley, recently, uh, he was watched by a dear friend in in this faith community. Uh, And upon picking Oakley up, uh, she immediately took him to a store and literally let him pick out any toy that he wanted. And because he is obsessed with like trucks and construction vehicles, he he picked out like this massive excavator that I will just admit, I would have never let him purchase. Then she took him to McDonald's and let him, of course, get a Happy Meal. We're more of like the dollar or buy this thing and you get another thing for a dollar family. So that was pretty thrilling. Then she would bring him back to his house and he got to drive a power wheel, which let's be honest, as a child, there is nothing better than driving a a a power wheel. And and as she was sending my wife and I pictures throughout the day, I I literally thought to myself, good grief, do I love that woman. Remember, human beings are God's most prized possession. He He quite literally placed a part of himself inside every one of us. He goes actually out of his way to let us know that he, for instance, has every hair on our heads numbered. He, he knitted us together in, in our mother's wombs. We are God's children. So the quickest and the most surefire way to, to please God or, or pursue righteousness, be like Christ to, to one of his kids. Conversely, the, the quickest way to ignite God's righteous anger Mess with one of his children, belittle, devalue, gossip about, ignore, take advantage of one of his children. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, when we think about it that way, it shouldn't probably surprise us that Jesus teaches us that the best way to pursue righteousness vertically with God, is by pursuing righteousness horizontally, with the you next to you. And according to the righteousness that Jesus speaks about in the Beatitudes, we are to show mercy, uphold purity, and be peacemakers. Let me give us a, an example maybe from each. Uh, you want to know why uh, you shouldn't lose your mind on the person that cuts you off while you're driving? You're like, oh, I... I think I know the answer to that because in the Bible, doesn't it say thou shalt not get angry? Like there's, there's, a, there's gotta be a rule about that, right? It's like, nope. It's because when you lose it on another person and in turn, you don't extend mercy, you're showing that individual quite literally the complete opposite picture of Jesus. A person that, oh, by the way, Jesus saw fit to die for a person created in the image of God. When we're unwilling to extend mercy to a lousy driver or a coworker or a boss or our spouse or a neighbor, we are actually withholding the very thing that Jesus poured out on the cross. Let's talk about purity. All you non-married dudes, you want to know why you shouldn't pressure females sexually? It's like, oh man, I think I know the answer to this, right? Because like sex is bad, right? Like there's something in the Bible about that. It's like, no, 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 God actually invented sex. It's because when you get someone to do something that that, that he don't want to do, especially as it relates to sexuality, you end up creating a regret for that person. And and followers of Jesus, we don't create regrets for our fellow image bearers. And, And even if it's consensual, when someone thinks about their greatest regret, and unfortunately, it usually has to do with sexuality, that they don't think about you. You're not a part of that awkward dance when, when they do finally meet the person that they're gonna spend the rest of their lives with and, and, and they're doing that whole, like, do I tell them everything about my past? And if I tell them everything about my past, are they gonna tell me everything about my... You're not a part of that story. One more. You wanna know why? when that friend whose marriage is like really struggling you don't just merely throw out the token hey i'll be praying for you but but instead you insist on watching their kids so that they can have a date you offer to actually help pay for marriage counseling you bring them meals unannounced you call and pray with them like on a daily basis on their commute home at night it's because you like jesus are a peacemaker You go out of your way to help create peace in the lives of other people and in turn, model beautifully what Jesus did during his time on this earth. Like Jesus, you understand that there's a huge difference between hoping and and doing. So so you actively take steps to to get involved. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And, and, And oh, by the way, When you begin to pursue righteousness in this way, you'll begin to experience a contentment that previously evaded you. Not only is there rich blessing in the here and the now on this earth, as Jesus says, you will be filled. You get to look forward to the riches of of eternity. And and if that's still somehow not enough, let's return to to where we started this conversation today. Hasn't your own life shown you that that, that all this other stuff that, that we attempt to fill that, that God-shaped void with, I mean, vacation homes and nicer cars and newer technology and, and that guy or that girl and sexual fantasies in your career, doesn't all of that always fall short? I mean, for, for a moment, right, it felt good, but, but a month goes by and suddenly the boat isn't as, well, cool as you thought it was. You wake up the next morning and, and regret tends to overwhelm the fun from the night before with him or, or her. That the financial stress outweighs what's parked in the driveway. There's a reason that, that all of that never lasts. It's because it's, it's a cheap substitute. It, it was never meant to last. All of that was never meant to fill that void because it's a void that, that was always and will forever be intended for, for Jesus. Jesus to return to one of my favorite quotes that we touched on in part one, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Maybe the reason the grass always looks greener on the other side is because you have yet to devote your life to the single pursuit of righteousness. And maybe you ought to listen to what your life has already clearly demonstrated and shown to you, that all that other stuff will forever and always fall short. See, one of the last things that Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, it's a bit alarming. No, no matter where you find yourself today on this whole, this whole faith journey. In, in Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23, again, he's nearing the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, but only the one who, who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I, Jesus says, will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. See, these are people who apparently went to church. They were in small groups. They volunteered. They partook in many religious activities. But but, but the passion, the hunger and thirst for their lives was not righteousness. And therefore, they will not be satisfied, neither in this life or in the age to come. That should probably shake all of us up just a little bit. That you can spend your life doing very religious, seemingly really good things, and yet miss Jesus altogether. Deep and lasting satisfaction for our souls it comes not from the delights of the world, nor from a merely religious or even a vertical relationship with God. Satisfaction, contentment, joy, peace, it comes from God to those whose passion in life is to know him in the struggle to be like him in the world. Whatever you do for others, it's, it's like you're doing it for him. So, so let us be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness by, by showing mercy, upholding purity, and by living as peacemakers.